0: Grace to you and peace in the knowledge of our God and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. In the calendar of the church year, yesterday is known as the Feast of the Baptism of Jesus. And you may may think about Jesus' baptism as a kind of a historical footnote and perhaps not having much to do with your life. It actually has a lot to do with your life, as we'll discuss this morning. Our text comes from the Gospel of St. Matthew, chapter 3, beginning with verse 13. Then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him, and John tried to prevent him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and are you coming to me? But Jesus answered and said to him, Permit it to be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he allowed him. When he had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were open to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him. And suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. This is the word of God. <clears throat> in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who fulfilled all righteousness for us, dear friends in Christ, A Tale of Two Cities is one of Charles Dickens' most famous novels. Some of you may have read it, if it's still part of the high school literature curriculum. Anybody? Yes? No? That's really unfair. We had to read it when I was in high school. As the title implies, it's a story that is set in two cities, the great capitals of Europe, Paris and London, at the time of the French Revolution. And at first glance, it might seem like these two cities had very little in common, especially since Paris was embroiled in this terrible revolution and uh, England at the time was at peace. But in his masterful prose, Dickens makes the point that uh, just as the citizens of France were subjected to uh, oppression and Um, various forms of corruption and terrifying events, so also the citizens of England were subject to many of the same things, only in different ways. You'd think the two cities could hardly have had less in common, but through the eyes of Charles Dickens, they end up having a lot of things the same. You and Jesus have something in common. Did you know that? You both were baptized. There are differences, of course, Jesus had no sins to wash away. He had nothing to repent of, even once. Well, you and I, of course, need to repent every single day. However, there are important similarities as well. If you haven't thought about your baptism for a while, in fact, if you don't think about and take comfort in your own baptism every single day, you're missing out on a great source of reassurance and godly comfort. Our theme this morning is a tale of two baptisms, Jesus' baptism and yours. You probably know that Jesus' baptism marked the beginning of his official ministry. What you may not have realized is that your baptism does many of the same things for you that it did for him. And the first commonality we notice is that both, unfortunately, are opposed by man. The opposition to Jesus' baptism came from the least likely source, John the Baptist himself. Our text says he tried to prevent Jesus. The idea that he, a sinner, should baptize the Son of God didn't make any sense to him. By the way, Have you ever noticed how often this happens in scripture where Jesus' own followers, often his own disciples, try to prevent him from carrying out the will of his heavenly father? They obstruct him, try to keep him from doing his work as the world's redeemer, try to keep Jesus from blessing the children, try to keep Jesus from going up to Jerusalem and going to the cross. What about you? Are you ever guilty of trying to prevent Jesus? Does your faith depend on what makes sense to you? Does God's word have to pass the test of your understanding, have to align with your feelings and your emotions before you'll obey it? If there's some part of God's word or God's will for your life are you, that you don't agree with, are you free to just disregard that part? May it never be. James Kennedy once said that it's impossible for a Christian to say no, Lord, to Jesus. Because if you say no to him, then he's not your Lord. In fact, it's one of the joys of the Christian faith that we don't have to understand every part of God's word. Much of it is beyond our understanding. All we have to do is believe it. And the Holy Spirit enables us to do that. The Bible gives us all the answers we need. As the psalmist says, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. As for those mysteries, the things that are just beyond our human comprehension, we don't have to worry about that. We can just leave that to God. That's what John the Baptist did. Here's another commonality between Jesus' baptism and yours. It bestows the Holy Spirit. Our passage reads, when he had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water and behold, the heavens were open to him and he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him. This, by the way, was fulfillment of an ancient prophecy made by Isaiah way back in the Old Testament. Behold my servant whom I uphold, my elect one in whom my soul delights, I have put my spirit upon him you too receive the Holy Spirit at your baptism. In fact, you received exactly what Peter promised the people of Jerusalem in his Pentecost speech. You remember when he said, Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You might not have realized that most Christian denominations say nothing really happened at baptism. Uh, nothing is really given, no sins are washed away, no salvation is bestowed, it's all merely symbolic. The Bible says different. In a crystal clear statement, the Apostle Peter says simply, baptism now saves you. What a miracle. You've been baptized, and your baptism saves you. You've received the Holy Spirit. All your sins have been washed away and you've become a member of God's kingdom of grace by faith. Is it any wonder that at the moment of Jesus' baptism, they saw the heavens open to them? Because that's what God's done for you at your baptism. He's opened wide the gates of heaven before you and invited you to come right in as his dear child. And that's why this really is a tale of two baptisms, finally because both identify a beloved child of God. We read, suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And now that you've been baptized, God expresses his approval of you as well. Can you imagine that? In Christ, God says of you, this is my beloved son. This is my beloved daughter. In you I am well pleased. It's true, because now that you've been baptized, your Heavenly Father sees you not as a wretched sinner, but as a justified saint. He sees you not in the filthy garments of your own sinful flesh and your own works, but rather in the pure white robe of Christ's righteousness. Do your sins bother you and weigh on your conscience? Martin Luther had the same problem, and he found a solution. He went in his study room and took a knife, and on the desk that he usually used, he carved the words, I have been baptized. Whenever he was disgusted with himself because of his sins and his weaknesses, those words reminded him that he was nevertheless a beloved child of God. They reminded him that the blood and righteousness of Christ applied to him as well. And the same thing's true of you. You probably won't go back to your home or your dorm room and carve, I have been baptized in your desk. I don't think our facilities manager would take kindly to that here in our dormitories. But you should carve those words in your mind. I have been baptized. Because your baptism is a wonderful blessing that you should think about and use for your comfort every single day of your life. As Luther says, it is truly a gracious water of life and a washing of regeneration in the Holy Ghost. It works the forgiveness of sins, delivers from death and the devil, and gives eternal salvation to all who believe, as the words and promise of God declare. Amen. We'll conclude this morning with this singing of the first two stanzas of hymn 407.